probably met her one time. I just don't recognize her very well. I don't. Po- I don't. I don't focus too much on on, on personal relationships at work. That's smart. Nothing but trouble. Yeah, it can get you into trouble, and so it's better just to be professional all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like us. Plus, I don't have any energy. I don't have energy for that mm-hmm. stuff. There's too many other things going on. Like where I'm eating lunch today. Where are you eating lunch today? Chipotle. They have an uh, they have an automatic call-in app now, so you could just preload your what you like, mm-hmm. and then you go blip, and then it gets done at the time you want, and you walk in, and you go to a little counter, and you grab your bag, and you walk out. That's good for Lori to know because she has been stealing food from counters just like that process. Has she? You just yes. walk up and grab stuff? That, yes. That was not me. That was Aaron and, and Grace. They stole from Starbucks. Who stole from Starbucks? Aaron and Grace. Why? Rotations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners may find the opinions and content expressed disturbing and or objectionable. Okay, you guys ready? You're being ready. Okay. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Dr. Todd Fredericks, DO, Associate Professor of Family Medicine at Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. And so today's starts a series of episodes which are on a topic which I'll be flat honest I know very little about in fact I didn't even understand the term uh, it was introduced to me maybe a year ago and uh, so it's been a learning curve for me trying to sort out what we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about today is aces and trauma not in the sense of uh, physiologic uh, anatomic trauma although that may come up and it's part of it but psycho-emotional trauma and how that affects people and why it's an important topic for people to be aware of. Um, and so who, what I, the people I have today to help me are people who are very versed on this. Um, Lori Brown, who is a licensed clinical social worker, and Jennifer Schwerian, who's also a licensed clinical social worker. They both work at Appalachian Behavioral Health, and they are working with a combination of uh, relatively acute, but they're all inpatients. So you might have uh, psychiatric patients, behavioral health patients that are in the hospital for maybe a week, uh, to some that are here for years. And so um, with that, I'm going to say hi, Lori. Hi, Todd. Hi. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Todd. And so I think it's important that we answer a few questions because it's not just about ACEs. It's about uh, people understanding I've got three different things in my mind. I've got the psychologist, I've got the counselor, and I've got the social worker. And since you guys are social workers, we'll start off with Lori. Lori, tell me a little bit about your background, and then, Jennifer, if you can follow, but tell me about your background. Then try to define those terms for people who are listening. What are these things when we talk about those three things? I have no idea what you just asked me. I asked you to give me some of your background. <laughs> I asked you to give me some. Do you need some coffee? I probably do. I told you this Mucinex is not doing well for me. Do you mind starting with Jennifer? I'll start with Jennifer. Okay, so Jennifer, how about you tell me your background, Coach Lori, and then maybe touch on this psycho- a psychologist, counselors, and social workers. Okay, I'm going to model appropriate behavior for Lori. Thank That's you. That's one of the things social workers do. What? 
Modeling? Model, modeling appropriate behavior. <laughs> oh, I didn't know there was such a thing. Okay, yes. so carry so you on. you learn something every day. I do learn something every day. More than one thing usually. So I went to a high university. I got an undergraduate degree in psychology and English and wanted to be gainfully employed. So that meant I really needed to get a master's degree. So I went to Ohio State and I obtained a master's degree in social work with a concentration in children and families and ended up moving back to Athens where I live and work. Um, in terms of the differences between social work, counseling, and psychology, um, to be a practicing psychologist, you have to have a PhD. So you have to go through many more years of schooling and internships, et cetera. Um, counseling, you can do some work at a, a master's level. Many of them also go on and be, get their PhDs. What was appealing to me, quite honestly, about being a social worker was to be a licensed independent social worker. You only need your master's degree to do that. So technically, not that we do, but Lori and I could have a private practice uh, we could bill for our services with a master's degree. Now, some individuals are smarter than I am, and they get an undergraduate degree in social work, and they become licensed social workers. And and you can be a social worker with just a bachelor's degree. You can't be independently licensed. You can't bill for services, et cetera, and have your own practice. But you can be a social worker with just an undergraduate degree. So then what do they, what's the distinction, let's say, between a psychologist, a, a Ph.D. clinical psychologist and what they do, and a licensed clinical social worker? What, 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 are the, what are the distinctions between the two? I think it depends on the setting. And this is Lori speaking. And Lori, what's your background before you go on to depending on settings, since you now know about model behavior? <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I am a native Athens Countyan. I think that's how you would say that. Athenian. Athenian. Um, no, I was born and raised in Coolville. And I went to Ohio University where I got my bachelor's degree in social work. Which so, we always appreciate. Yes. And I did the um, required internship at Appalachian Behavioral Healthcare. So I was the intern who refused to leave. And after a couple of years of employment, I went back to Ohio University to obtain my master's degree in social work. I was in the first graduating class in 2001 of the MSW program. And I continue to work at ABH. Well, so then... What is the difference then between a, a practicing PhD psychologist and a licensed clinical social worker, say with a master's degree or a bachelor's degree? What do they? What, how does that? How does it look day to day in terms of what they do? Well, for psychologists, they have a lot of training in testing, mm. so they can complete I, you know, IQ testing, testing for malingering, and and other things, personality tests, et cetera. Um, at ABH, they're expert witnesses with the court system. They testify. They do countless evaluations on competency, whether or not patients meet the criteria uh, for not guilty by reason of insanity. And social workers are more involved in discharge planning, identifying a patient's social supports, strengths, limitations, Helping obtain necessary resources for post-discharge, like housing, insurance, making sure they have the basic needs met, like food, water, electricity. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So really, you are a, a psychologist is much more focused on one element of behavioral health, whereas it seems like social workers are more concerned with the whole patient and how they're going to adapt to 
everyday life in all their respective needs. Is that fair? Yeah? Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Like I say, now a counselor, which is an interesting thing that I didn't even know existed until a year or two ago. What's a counselor versus a psychiatrist, a psychologist? That's a great question. So at the state of Ohio and Appalachian Behavioral Healthcare, we don't have specific counselor positions. We have social work positions. We have psychology positions. We do happen to have one PhD level counselor on staff in the social work department, somebody that came to us as a transfer when another organization closed. Mm -hmm. Um, So would it be fair to say that in most cases in acute psychiatric care, you're going to find social workers or psychologists, and that's the two? Yes. Awesome. Now, it's also the case that ER doctors frequently encounter social workers, so if we have a person who has suicidal ideation, that a social worker will show up. And what's the, how does that work? Because they're usually the ones making an assessment of whether or not the person actually needs to be in a hospital or can be safely released for outpatient care. Well, the thing about that, Todd, is that you might be calling a social worker, think you're calling a social worker, but you're actually calling a counselor. A lot of people in social work and counseling have very similar roles. So in an outpatient setting, if you were to go to Hopewell, for example, and have an appointment, you're likely meeting with a counselor, but you could also be meeting with a social worker. And at the master's level, you wouldn't see a significant difference between their duties. So there's a lot of blurring in terms of the roles and responsibilities. It's really interesting to me because, you know, as a person who likes to put things in little boxes to make sense out of things and create matrices and that kind of stuff, when you start getting involved in this world, and I think it's common with a lot of non-behavioral health-oriented physicians, they don't really understand the roles and responsibilities of some of these individuals and professionals. And so it's nice to get some background and clarification. Okay, so tell me about ACEs and tell me about trauma and tell me about S-I-T-I-C-C. So maybe we start with S-E-T-I-C-C. C-T-I-C. C-T-I-C. c an acronym. What's C-T-I-C? C-T-I-C is the Southeast Ohio Trauma-Informed Care Collaborative. And I believe we started about six years ago with the direction of the Ohio Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. Ohio has several different regions, six regions, and we're the southeast quadrant of the state. And this is a collaborative that meets every other month to try to move trauma-informed care practices forward, to grow them in our communities, to educate people about what trauma is. And that's that's the main purpose, really, of CTIC. It's in its infancy stages. I know, you know, we say it's been at it for about six years, but it was a very slow start. Baby steps, you kind of take a couple steps forward and then a step back, but we're continuing to grow and expand. And it's really kind of an exciting time for CTIC. I'm proud of the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. We have a very diverse membership of CTIC. We have people from education, from substance use disorders, from um, nursing, domestic violence shelters. And again, this group isn't just for the Athens community. It's We have membership as far north as Jefferson County and along the Ohio River down to Adams, Lawrence, and Scioto counties and very active members who have made a commitment to come to CTIC meetings, to engage in the various work groups that we have going on right now. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, Lori, I'm going to adjust your microphone a little bit more. If you, you might be closer to you or you want to get closer to it, which is easier? Closer to me. Closer to her. <clears throat> He's going to hit me in the face with this, I know. I will tell Ann. You will tell Ann. Yeah, one of the problems of living in Southeast Ohio, or one of the benefits is that you cannot get anywhere without someone knowing you or knowing someone close to you. So you can get in no trouble. Or if you do, you're very quickly found out if you're in trouble. Like if you have a, if I have a flat tire on one side of Athens, before I get home, my wife will probably know about it before, and I haven't even told her. Because someone's making a phone call or posting a Facebook picture of me trying to change that tire, uh, trying to get a laugh, and someone's going to already know about it. It's pretty gooky. So now it's important with trauma. I told you guys, I spent a lot of time doing trauma. Um, and the trauma that I saw were people that fell off of trucks and people that got run over by trucks and people that got shot and people. So when we talk about trauma, there's a distinction in what you guys are calling trauma, at least in part, and what we would call trauma. Can you, can you elaborate on what you mean when you talk about trauma since it's part of CTEC? What is trauma? You mentioned it in the introduction a little bit. It's a psychological stress. It's, it's toxic stress. It's things that have happened to an individual. So we're really talking about um, child abuse, sexual abuse, severe poverty, people who've experienced war, veterans, and the psychological impact that that has on individuals. Yeah, that's the kind of trauma that we're referring to. So if someone comes to you guys and says, well, lots of people have bad outcomes. I mean, if you go to Haiti, the entire country is under horrible conditions and everybody's got those experiences. So how is that different from just most people's normal lives? What, what's the how are you guys now distinguishing that type of trauma from what throughout human history has been kind of the norm mm -hmm. for human beings to experience? The research around this is really fascinating, mm -hmm. especially with what they refer to, and you mentioned ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, which is a study that was done in California. Um, Dr. Vince Valetti did the study along with Dr. Um, Amen, I believe, where they looked at 17,000 adults asked them 10 questions related to their early childhood adverse experiences that were, did you grow up in a family that had, where people were violent, where a caregiver went to prison, were you, you know, sexually abused, emotionally abused, neglected, did you feel love? And there are 10 questions related to these types of topics. And then they looked at these 17,000 people and their health outcomes. And the results of that were pretty shocking, that people who have a significant ACE score, and an ACE score can be anywhere from 0 to 10, 10 being the highest, you have negative health outcomes starting right around 4. So you have a, you know, 4 ACEs and you have an increased risk of a number of different cancers, diabetes, smoking, um, poor employment opportunities. It's extensive, and the research on this is extensive, and there's no way we can really do it justice, but I would encourage people, if you wanna get a quick kind of synopsis of this, is Dr. Nadine 
Burke Harris, who is the Surgeon General in California now, she has a YouTube video that does an excellent job kind of explaining how in early childhood, this stress hormone that's activated and reactivated over and over and over again makes changes in our brain at at a cellular level, essentially. And that can then lead to negative health outcomes as we grow into adulthood. Is that cortisol or is it a different? It is serum cortisol. Interesting, because serum cortisol is used as a measurement of stress, not just uh, psycho-emotional stress, but physiological stresses too. Mm -hmm. So it's actually serum cortisol that's causing these things? changes, I think, or long-term exposure to high levels of it? I am currently reading um, The Deepest Well, which is just starting to talk about some of that. And it's that's above my pay grade and my knowledge <laughs> as, a, as a mere social worker. But yes, it has to do with that stress response being repeated over and over again, particularly in children whose minds are still growing mm-hmm. and developing so we believe it probably has a bigger impact on them than it might on an adult who has one traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. That person can is also a survivor of trauma, but the health outcomes that they have as a result of that trauma mm-hmm. may not be as severe as, say, a child who's grown up watching a parent be, you know, physically assaulted, they themselves being assaulted, poverty and the like. Yeah. No, it's not a problem. I'm going to take these names and put them in the show notes along with the links to YouTube videos and stuff so people can go through it and they can see and actually mm-hmm. get to it without having to be too, uh, too, 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 having to exercise their memory too much. You can just go to the mm-hmm. show notes and look, and I'll put those uh, links to that so people can see it. So how you do an ACEs, what's the implication of this? As you guys look at this and try to identify um, significant uh trauma. And I, I still am struggling with the idea of using that term because I, I think it does it a disservice a little bit without distinguishing it. Um, again, you know, a kid falls off a bicycle, that's trauma. Mm-hmm. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about rather significant developmental events or th- rather significant events in a person's life that can have dramatic developmental consequences on them going into the future. So I guess that's an interesting question to me too. Why why did why was the term trauma chosen when it could be conflated so easily with something that someone might just say, well, well, yeah, people fall off things and they get hurt. What what, do you, what has there been any movement to make that distinction so we know what we're talking about? Well, I think that that's one of the hopes that CTIC has and others, you know, who are studying this is this idea of historically we don't think of that as trauma. Right, you watch your, say your mother get assaulted by her her boyfriend or spouse for many years. We don't think of that as trauma for the child. We might think the injuries Mm -hmm. to the woman, that's traumatic, that's Mm -hmm. the trauma. So we're trying to shift the conversation to appreciate that trauma is bigger than a car accident. Trauma is bigger than an injury to your physical body. This is trauma that is an injury to your your emotional state. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's an important distinction. I think people need to start thinking about that because the term that I learned when I started working around behavioral health people is milieu. Mm-hmm. And so the milieu for people who don't know this term basically describes the sea in which we live uh, that involves not just you moving through the ocean, but 
you know, the starfish and the, the sharks near you and the fish near you and everything else. And so that, in the context of human care, means you and your spouse, your significant other, your children, um, pets, you name it, the whole vibe and environment that you live in and what's that like and how do those interactions play? Because um, as Jennifer just pointed out, this idea that, you know, yeah, mom just got beaten senseless. She's had physical trauma in addition to probably significant emotional trauma. But people who witness this, especially at young ages when they have plastic brains, are also being affected by this. And so how do we how do we examine that and and see what that effect what the effects that has so when we think about that aces is our tool right or are there other tools to look at that aces is one tool mm-hmm. and it's a pretty good tool because the study was sponsored by Kaiser Permanente mm-hmm. which is a large health facility in California as well as the CDC so there's a lot of research that backs up their findings But certainly, you know, social assessments, conversations, you can get a lot out of someone by asking them to talk about their experiences. So how's it employed? What what context does that happen? Does it happen in an ER? Does it happen in a family physician's office? Where does that happen that a person's administered an ACEs? So that's one of the things CTIC wants to change. It is not implemented. It's not used widely outside of maybe some behavioral health organizations. I believe, for example, locally, Hopewell uses it. Um, ABH is now using it. But across the board, it's not used. And that's bothersome to those of us who feel invested in recognizing that a person's health is their whole health. It's your heart as well as your brain. Um, your blood sugar, it's, it's everything. And we know that that early childhood adverse experiences impacts you as you age. And it's something that we feel that physicians need to know about and to appreciate. I really think we're not asking that question. You know, I, I am sure that people listening to this and you and Lori and I, we've been to urgent cares. We've been to lots of different specialists, and we've never been asked the ACE study. No one has handed it to us to get to do it in um, while we wait in the in the waiting room. No one seems to care what our ACE score is, mm-hmm. and we're trying to educate um, physicians and clinics and others about why that information is important. Yeah, Lori, you have any thoughts on that? You have no thoughts on that. <laughs> I'm very congested. It's I'm, good. I'm having a hard time over here trying not to sniffle into the microphone. Don't you worry about it. Okay. So there are many situations where an A study could be very important, as Jennifer was mentioning. I think in an OBGYN's office, this is important for somebody who is pregnant, for instance, to have this A study to consider not only for themselves, but also for this unborn child that they're about to bring into the world. Mm-hmm. I do know that the John Clem Recovery House, they do the ACE study for everybody that's considered for admission there as well. So there are some substance use disorder places. So my, my question is, because it's always time, right? In mm-hmm. any kind of practice, it's time. And um, certainly primary care doctors and, and mid-level practitioners, they do not have time 
They're, they're, they're productivity generators. And it's a tough sell. I mean, we talk about breast cancer screening, we talk about colonoscopies, we talk about all these things. There's gonna be a pressure about why are you spending additional time and resources to examine something that may or may not have any implications for this patient. So that's the cell, right? So what's the frequency of an ACEs and what's the trigger for an ACEs? Is, is, it, is it any child every year? Is it, is it some targeted children every five years? What, what does that look like for CTIC to say, if we had this ideal screening system, much like screening colonoscopies over the age of 50 every five years or so with a normal colonoscopy, what would it be for an ACEs administration because we do it with immunization, we do it with other things. We do it with immunizations. We do it with all sorts of things. There's scheduled times at which you deliver mm -hmm. developmental milestones with infants and uh, toddlers and stuff. What would you, what would CTIC like to see as a normal or regular, reasonable interval for screening people, and then correlating it in terms of their long-term health? Well, here's here's what we know: mm -hmm. the ACE score is based on birth through 18 years of age. So if you're taking the A score yourself or the test and you're being honest, you wouldn't need to do it annually if you're an adult because that information is historical. It's not going to change. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, here here's an example. Most people when they're feeling um, depressed, they don't make an appointment with a psychiatrist. They make an appointment with their general practitioner, right? Mm -hmm. So they go to the doctor and I'm the example I give is I'm a middle-aged woman. Lori's a middle-aged woman. Let's say we both. Thanks for pointing that out. You're welcome. Yeah. A beautiful middle-aged. We're beautiful middle-aged women, but inside and out. You can leave that in. I, I'm gonna leave it in. I'm not, <laughs> trust me, I'm not touching anything. <laughs> so we go to our general practitioner, and uh, let's say I I present and I say, you know, I'm feeling depressed. I'm not myself. I'm not sleeping. I don't know if life is worth living anymore. And Lori presents and she says the same thing, the exact same thing. That general practitioner is going to treat us the exact same way. A, they're going to do A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. That's how it is now. What CTIC would argue is if I present with an A score of four and Lori has an A score of zero, I am actually 12 times more likely to attempt suicide than Lori. Hmm. And you can't tell that by looking at me. And I want to believe that if a physician knew that, that I am 12 times more likely to attempt suicide, that in addition to A, B, and C, that practitioner might also do X, Y, and Z with me. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, it doesn't take the practitioner any time to deliver the ACE score because I've likely been waiting in that waiting room for 20, 30, 40 minutes. I can give myself that ACE score. I can walk into the office and you could ask, so what's your ACE score? And I would be able to tell you. Mm -hmm. And then you would know in addition to risk of suicide, how many other things I may be at risk for. Mm-hmm. Lori? So, yeah, it's not about the practitioner's time because the form itself is very easy to use. And even our folks at ABH that are psychotic or, or suicidal or not very cooperative at times are participating in this 
a study. They can read through the questions and it's yes or no for, for 10 questions. So it's not going to take long. Anybody can do it in their doctor's office while waiting. Okay. And then just hand the form over. Yeah. So before I close out this first segment, I want to ask you as a question, is ACEs sufficient as a screen for general emotional well-being in childhood? Is it the, is it the desired tool? What I mean by that is, you know, I'm a, I come from a cognitive behavioral bias, because you guys may not know this, but I was an undergraduate psychology major. So I did uh, not know that. Yeah, so I did abnormal psych as part of my BS wow. um, years and years ago at Cal State Chico. Anyway, uh, which I, we had a great department, and I had great professors, and I learned an awful lot about that. My question is, is, is this something where if it's incorporated into the normal flow of a, of a pediatric exam, is it sufficient in and of itself, or are there other tools or instruments necessary to get a more complete picture of a person's psycho-emotional health as a screening tool? And so, again, as a practicing physician, what I don't want to do is give something that is not particularly effective or complete to a practitioner or a medical student. What I'd like to see is, hey, this should be as part of your normal workflow when you look at uh, the general behavioral or general status of the patient when you're examining a, a child. You give an ACEs and you record the ACEs like much like you would a Glasgow Coma score. You just say their ACEs at this point in their life is three. Um, they report no uh, intrusive thoughts. They report nothing like that. Things seem to be pretty chill. Is, is ACEs a good enough tool for that that you could recommend that as part of a normal well-child exam, well-young-adult exam? The ACEs is a historical uh, or a look at the history of the mm -hmm. individual. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be most beneficial for adults. Um, really? So does it, so you're not seeing a role for it in the treatment of younger people? What the ACE tells you is a little bit about this person's emotional trauma history mm -hmm. and what they are at risk for in the future. It doesn't tell you how well they're doing at that moment in time. Mm -hmm and how they're feeling about things. Um, and it, it's why CTIC, where, where CTIC is focusing right now, is to get the ACE study into the hands of OBGYNs mm -hmm. so that parents can be educated about what risks their children you know, may face if they score positively on some of these questions. There's a lot of debate about using this with children or with anyone if you're not then prepared to provide any sort of emotional support that they might need after having, you know, completed the assessment. So that what you're asking is a really tricky question. I wouldn't use the ACE to see how someone is doing now. Mm -hmm. I would use the ACE if I wanted to know more about their trauma history and what they're at risk for. And I, we can give lots of examples um, to kind of back that up. Um, yeah, I think that's where we're gonna start the second segment at. We're gonna talk about clinical applications and maybe some case studies or generic case studies that you guys would think about. And then I'll ask you a few more questions too. So you guys good with going to a second segment? Sure. Lori, any, any closing thoughts? I'm ready. Uh, well, Jennifer? Bring it on. <laughs> Jennifer, anything? No, looking okay. forward to it. Awesome. Okay, well, that's that ends the first segment with uh, Lori Brown and Jennifer Schwerian talking about CTIC 
ACEs, trauma-informed care in general, and, and where this is going and why it's important for people to be aware of these tools and how it affects long-term overall health for people throughout their lifetime. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medicine and science as part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of the Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. This episode of Rotations was produced by Todd Fredericks. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we sometimes pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve the right to all content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators. You must cite Rotations as the source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by tweeting us at Medical Cinema for Todd, at Prof Plow for Brian, Nisarg Bakshi for Nisarg Bakshi and at Rotations PCAST or by visiting mediaandmedicine.com slash rotations. Check us out on Facebook at Media and Medicine. And finally, from me, Todd Fredericks, you can also send me a message through my Facebook page at TR Fredericks. But please, I have a sensitive feelings, so embrace your inner non-hater. Okay.